Um, if you've been around Christchurch for um, any significant period of time, you know that we are um, an elder-led church. It's a little bit unique here because uh, every church polity has sort of a different governance and based on your denomination and your church tradition. Ours is that we have, we have an elder board and then we have a staff and then we have the congregation. And so the elder board is really just, what, what I've been saying lately is this, because I love this description of elders, is we're the lead followers. We're the lead followers. That our job, our primary job is to, is to be the leaders in the church that are just pursuing Christ kind of out front, and then we're just inviting everybody else to, to do that with us. And so um, we've over the years had uh, different uh, leaders in those roles and some have rolled off, and this morning we're actually going to be installing um, a, a new elder. And if anybody knows uh, Wayne Paulette, um, I've known Wayne for, he's in here, right? Yeah, there he is. Uh, so he's not here this morning, actually, but um, we, uh, I've known Wayne for, I think I was thinking about this, maybe 15 years or so, because um, we've been here for 11 and then several before that at West Hills. And so just a few quick personal things about Wayne. I've, no, I've noticed this about Wayne, and I've been able to watch this, uh, just the way that Wayne uh, not only loves and serves and cares for his wife, first and foremost, because if you're not doing that, then you're disqualified automatically from even being considered as an elder. The way that he serves and loves his kids, his two daughters and his grandkids, and his son-in-laws uh, over the years has just been really fun for me to be able to observe and to watch and just be inspired by the way that he loves and serves and cares for the church and the people of the church. And so we've been in conversations with Wayne for many months uh, about um, having him join us on the elder board and after a, a significant process with um, some study and questions and conversations and prayer, we've uh, come to the, the place where we want to um, welcome him on the board formally this morning. And so I'm going to invite Wayne to come up here in a minute. Um, let me just read. Yeah, come on up, brother. Let's welcome Wayne up on stage. <clears throat> I just want to read out of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, just the qualifications for what's called overseers or elders in the church. It says this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if, anyone, if, someone, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders." so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so you find in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but also in Titus, these qualifications for elders. And we not only believe that Wayne fits into those, that's kind of the baseline. So I think that's like 
that's an aspiration of all of us, right? Just this list would be like, yeah, I want all those things in my life. Those are good things. That's a baseline. And then you transition and move over to just calling. Is this particular person called to lead in this capacity? And we've come to the conclusion that the answer is, is yes right now in this season, that Wayne is, 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 has been called by God to, to serve and to lead at Christ Church. And so uh, I'm going to give him just a minute to say a few words, and then we're going to ask uh, him a couple of questions. And, um, uh, and then we're going to pray over him, and, uh, and, th- and that'll be it. So I think we have a mic here, Wayne, if you want to use that. Good morning. Hey, I'm the introverted bass player back here. Um, just a little bit about myself, really quick history. Um, married to a marvelous woman, I, everybody's probably met, Chris, that I've been married to for 42 years and uh, couldn't be happier. I've got two marvelous granddaughters, two wonderful grandsons, and five incredible grandchildren. Um, I was a sinner. I'm still a sinner. I needed a savior, and God came to and blessed me, uh, filled my heart with the Holy Spirit, gave me the message of salvation. I accepted the message of salvation years ago, and I'm grateful every single day that I wake up and live and just know that Christ died for me and uh, that I will someday be with him in heaven, and uh, not a day goes by that I'm not grateful for that. Um, when I was approached to become an elder, um, I said, okay, I'll think it over. And my immediate answer was, no, I'm that crazy, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, like Judge said, I, one morning during my quiet time and doing some Bible reading, uh, the Holy Spirit just opened up some scripture for me, and I saw that it was all about serving and trusting the Lord, not trusting me, not based on my decision, trusting him. And uh, it was at that point that I... I told Chris after my quiet time, I said, hey, I'm, I'm going forward with this. And she was in full support of me. And uh, yeah, so here I am today. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks, man. So Wayne, I just have a few questions for you this morning before we pray over you. Do you trust in Jesus? You just said that you do. So do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you, do you acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church? I do. Do you accept the scriptures to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church, universal, and also God's word to you? I do. Uh, Will you fulfill your ministry in obedience to Jesus under the authority of scripture and by continually, and being continually, sorry, being continually guided by the Holy Spirit? Yes, I will. Will you be a friend among your co-elders in ministry? working alongside them for the good of this church and to the glory of God? Yes, I will. Will you in your own life, your own personal life, seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world? Yes, I will. Will you seek to further peace, unity, and purity of the church? Yes, I do. Will you pray for and intentionally seek to serve the people, many of these people, With energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? Yes, I will. Will you shepherd this church, not for gain, but eagerly, not domineeringly, but gently, being an example to the flock? Yes, I will. All right, praise God. Let me pray for you. Gracious Father, we thank you for Wayne. Would you give him strength and wisdom to care for, to love, 
and to serve this congregation for the building up of the body of Christ. Would you grant him humility and affection and love for this church body that we would, that we would grow collectively and be built up in love as well? We trust that you will, and we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you for uh, Wayne, for the man that you have uh, built up and established him to be, for bringing him to, your, to a knowledge of your saving grace, for filling him with your Holy Spirit, for filling him with a servant's heart that he would serve his family and his friends and his church and ultimately serve you. Father, would you be with Wayne as he serves as an elder of your church, that you would help him to rely fully on your strength and not his own, that you would help him to continually return to you for wisdom, for understanding, uh, that you would help him to turn to you in repentance continually. Father, I pray that you would uh, just be with him Help him to see needs throughout the church and to fill them, to uh, not be afraid to step in and to lead, to not be afraid to step in and to care um, and to shepherd. Father, just be with him as he leads, and most of all, help him to glorify you above all things. It is in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. Church, welcome Wayne in as an elder this morning. Thanks, brother. <clears throat> Thanks. Our kids can now head off to their classes. And if you're going to be in here, I invite you to open your Bible, if you have one, to Malachi chapter two, really chapter three, two seventeen. This also means if you have anything really significant or serious come up in your life, you can just call Wayne. Uh, he's a great resource. Um, but seriously, that's, we exist, and I've made this comment many times that we exist as elders to, again, in us kind of being the lead followers, to, to serve you, to pray with you, to pray for you. And so would you lean into your elders um, in that way? Would you stand, church, as we read God's word together? Again, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to go through chapter 3, verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is Coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. 
He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the reading of God's word. You can be seated. So there are times that you read the Bible, and listen, can I just like say this up front as well, that, and I've been, I've been trying to acknowledge this every week, that this is, this is just challenging stuff. Anytime you get into any, any prophet, especially the minor prophets, these guys just seem kind of cranky and, and just like they're just having a bad day or maybe even a bad year or bad years or bad life. I don't know. There's just a lot. And so it's okay to acknowledge that. There's just a lot there as you read it and you go, man, like these guys have this, this insight into the Lord that just seems um, like, like, like God is, is, is maybe not so happy. And you come across um, certain passages and, and, and you walk away um, maybe with like, if you get into Philippians or, so I, you know, any, any preacher loves to preach Philippians or Ephesians or it's like, there are a couple of preachers in here. My dad's sitting up front and he preached for 40 years and he would agree like, man, it's just a delight is a word to use. And then you get into some of the more challenging passages and uh, like still a delight, don't hear me wrong, but more challenging. And so even for you, when you're reading your Bible, there are times where you come across a passage and maybe you walk away with a better understanding of God. Would you agree? Have you ever come across something and you go, oh, I, get, I understand God's heart or his character better now. There are times maybe you walk away really confused. Ever come across a passage where you walk away confused? There are times you walk away inspired. Right? That happens as well. There are times you sort of walk away sad because you've read something that is uh, just devastations and just really sad things happen. And so you sort of lament. There are times you read something and you just pause because you're just in total amazement um, at what you read because there's a concept or an idea that you haven't given much consideration to in the past. Malachi 2.17 is one of those those verses for me. Um, As I came across it this past week and have been reading through and studying through Malachi, this idea, you have wearied the Lord with your words, and I just paused. You have exhausted the Lord with your words. I think about weary in the Bible, though, and generally it's in reference to us being weary or us being tired and coming to him for rest. Um, Like in Isaiah chapter 40, 28 to 30, have you not known, have you not Heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And so we know here because of Isaiah 40, we know that he's not like literally tired. 
um, because he has unlimited endurance, but rather he's tired of something that the people were doing, namely, here's what it was, saying things were things that were untrue or using their words to endorse something he would not endorse. This was the issue for, for him in this moment. That they were using their words to, in, to say things that were untrue and to endorse things that God would not endorse, okay? The, the average person, just for some context here on words, speaks like 10,000 words a day. I think it's between like 7,000 and 17,000 words a day, kind of depending, clear, depending on how much you talk. Um, that's how that works. Uh, it's math. So we, we know that God gave us words to use. He gave us different languages to be able to communicate. He gave us his word to have knowledge and understanding about himself. In John chapter 1, it actually says, in the beginning was the, say it with me, word. And the word became flesh. And so Jesus is actually called the word Words matter to God, and we know it's not words in general that weary God, but what it is that we are saying, what our intentions are with those words, and what the heart behind the word is doing. What is your heart doing behind that word you just said? We've become a society of monologuers believing that everyone needs to hear our point of view or that social platforms give us permission to use our words in any way that proves our point because social platforms sort of do that, right? Far too often we use words like weapons, though, against people who represent different points of view. We vilify people with our words. The church, it turns out, is often just as guilty as the world in using our words in ways that are not of God. We tear ourselves down and we wonder, we wonder why the world mocks the church, claiming that it has lost its love, or maybe even at times we use words within the church to create unnecessary divisions. All, all of that is true. All of that happens. Um, Maximus the Confessor, what a name, um, an early church father. He believed that when God created the world, um, he created little logoses that filled the earth. In other words, like a bunch of humanoids with the capacity to use language or to use words, right? Which is true. And so, yes, yeah, so this is true. Words matter because every time he creates a, a, a new life, he is creating a bunch of words because he knows that little life is going to use a bunch of words and say a bunch of words, the question is, will we use our words for the purposes of God? To fill the earth with Christocentric vocabulary, with kingdom language. And so does God care about our words? Yes, very much. The psalmist writes, let the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. The Apostle Paul reminds us to meditate on whatever is true and pure and lovely and worthy Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Proverbs 12.18, there is one whose rash words are like, uh, are like sword thrusts. That's a crazy thought. Are like sword, I said sword? sword. That's a tough sword thrust, sword thrust. Say that, you know, that's, I, didn't, I didn't go over that out loud before I... 
<laughs> so, I'm sorry. Say it. It's, t- it's tough. Sword thrust. All right. I said it again. Sword thrust. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul, and I love this, and to the health of the body. There's just like physiological connection, right? Um, Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Or James 1, 26. If anyone thinks he is religious, this, this will cut. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So what James is talking about here is close to what Malachi is talking about. Essentially, this is what Malachi is saying. Your your religion is off base. Your faith is off base. Your words about me are off base. Totally off base. Now let's rewind just briefly for a moment. Remember back to chapter one. God says, I have loved you. I have never stopped loving you, but you say, how have you loved us? And so for context, here they are a hundred years after the decree of Cyrus, which is in 538 BC, that ended Babylonian captivity. They had been able to return to their homeland, the Israelites. They had been able to rebuild the temple. When they returned, instead of prosperity, however, they had, that they had hoped for, they had, they had drought, economic hardship, they had crop failure. Things were not going well. And so while they may not have been in Malachi kind of shaking their fist at God, they sort of were, they're certainly blaming him for the conditions that they found themselves in. And in turn, they're giving him, they've been living their lives, giving him very little attention. The priests are like offering up sick and lame sacrifices and they're just despising God. And God calls them on it. And they're like, well, how are we despising you? And he just continues to give them examples as to how they're doing these things. And here it gets worse in this text. This is where, where it starts to really irk God. They, they looked around, like the people had looked around and they saw others sinning and they assumed God was sort of okay with it since he wasn't like striking them down or killing them. They asked, where is this God of justice? Right? In, in the, out of the arrogance of their, of their hearts. Now, in in certain contexts, this is a really, really reasonable question to ask. Like, you could ask this, like, just crying out to God in certain contexts. Um, In fact, like, you see David again crying these words often, but the context here tells us this was not their intention because it it tells us what what it was they had been saying. Things like this, all who do evil are good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. False. They... We're challenging God's character and his ability to actually do something about the sins of the people. And has the feeling of like, if he is real, then, then like, like w- prove it. Prove it. If you're real, God, prove it. Show up. And also notice how focused they are on other, other people. It's not an introspection. It's like the other person in this like self-righteous piety. 
They wanted immediate justice for the evil they were observing, and they weren't willing to see they had missed, they had missed this, that maybe God had a plan. And what's even more wild is that the plan that God had actually involved them. It involved them returning to him with their hearts. It involved them loving him, not for what he can do for them, but simply for who he is. It involved them trusting him, not questioning him in arrogance. It involved them not being so focused on the sins of others that they missed their own brokenness and their own fractured religion. It involved humility. And based on the way God responds to them in verse 5, it involved them turning from their own sin, from their own adultery, from the, which we addressed last week, from their own not caring for the widow or the fatherless. All of those things are things that God calls his people to do, and all the Israelites could do is babble on about all the other evil in the world. And he's sick of it. He's like, I'm tired of your words. Shut the pie holes. They were unable to see his intentions. They were too deep into challenging God and pointing the finger at everyone else. They were angry and impatient, and the result is they just wouldn't zip it. And God said, it's exhausting to listen to you right now. I'm tired of your words. Sometimes a parent can be... Um, um, quick to cut off a child if they're talking too much. Um, happens all the time in my house. <clears throat> um, especially with one. But <clears throat> this is not what was happening here. It's not you, Noe, or Ty. Um, this is not what was happening here. Uh, <laughs> I got a talker. This was... I have a little me, actually. This was, back to it, this was God being, this was not a parent cutting his kid off. This is God being endlessly patient, if we read, read it in context. God being endlessly patient and then coming to a place where he saw their words were so dishonoring that he just couldn't let them continue anymore. One of my favorite movies is, um, Goodwill Hunting. Anybody else? Woo -woo. Um, unbelievable story. Um, so the context here is uh, it was written by Matt Damon and uh, Ben Affleck. Uh, Will was a janitor at MIT. Had an unbelievable gift for mathematics, but after some run-ins with the law, um, the, the judge ruled that he needed to like, see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, to get some counseling in his life. So he pairs up with a psychologist played by Robin Williams uh, named uh, Sean McGuire. And at one point, Will begins um, sort of in interrogating Sean about his wife who had passed away. And you can see that uh, initially Sean is, is very patient. He's listening to Will, and he's trying to kind of get Will to sit down and... and um, and then at a certain point, Will becomes so disrespectful that Sean grabs him by the throat and says, if you ever disrespect my wife again, I will end you. I will 
end you. There's a word in there that I won't use. God responds to their question, where is this God of justice? By saying, here's, here's the, who will be able to endure his coming in the state that you're in right now? Who will, or who can stand? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. In other words, he will cleanse the world of all the unholiness that is in it right now. But I want you to see this. They were so impatient for the God of justice. It, it appears to be the case. They were so impatient for this God of justice to enact his plan that they didn't realize they were to be a, that, that, that they too were actually going to be a part of the judgment. The, the way they were living their lives in dishonoring God was going to be rolled into that same judgment. God is trying to capture, to, to grab onto, to get their attention again. And all they can do is focus on what he's not doing and what other people are doing that is contrary to his good purposes. That's all they could focus on. Have you ever been so impatient about something you just can't, you can't stop talking about it? Um, like, it could be like an Amazon delivery that you have ordered that is coming, it's not there yet, or someone um, to like get into the car when you've already been in there for 47 seconds. Um, even like at a restaurant, when um, you're waiting for a table <laughs> and you just start, like you begin with this internal mumbling, it's internal to start, always. And you start looking around. That's always an indication that something's gonna come out. And after you make the first comment out loud, it's just like the floodgates are open. Like you're, you're not stopping. Um, but it all begins with like, typically it begins with like, hmm, I think, I think we were here before them. I thought, I think they came in after us. And then the second thing um, is we start to notice open tables. Like there's a four top right there. Yeah, it's just like staring at us. Um, and then uh, the third thing is like, we're like, okay, they said 25 minutes and so we're not 29 minutes. And then, finally, lastly, it's, do they even care about us? I think they've forgotten us, right? That's where the Israelites were here. God has us in this trash restaurant, doesn't even care about us anymore, and he must not care about sin either because he isn't doing anything about it. Where are you, God of justice? And so what we see here for the rest of our time is just a few observations about the people's attitude towards God and then just a few quick observations about God's response. I'm going to lump the first two in together. The people's words. What, what were the words? Uh, here, here's, here, here are the words that we see. How have we wearied him? Uh, everyone who does evil and good, uh, is good in the sight of the Lord and delights in him. And then where is this God of justice? Those are the, that's the, that's the, the people's words. Um, and so the first two points is this. We weary God when we ignore God. And secondly, when we only talk to each other and not to him. 
And so their words were fundamentally primarily to one another and not to God. And they were ignoring him. And they were living with this knowledge about what he is capable of because they would have known what he's capable of because of their history with him. But they were talking amongst each other that they really didn't believe that he was able to address the sins of the world. Again, there's a lot happening with them. I get it. Like little food, crops are failing, people are hot and cranky, they start sinning, and like the religious ones start going like, God must be okay with this pagan world, and everybody's just, it's just a mess. And God's not even doing anything about it. They had, the people though, had lost their posture of humility and honor towards God. That's what we see. They had lost the approach of coming before the Lord humbly. Put yourself in there. Remember how James 4.10 tells us to come to the Lord? It says, humble yourselves before the Lord. To humble yourself is less about bowing your head and more about bowing your heart. How about this at the dinner table? Like, let's close your eyes and bow your heart. Instead, they ignored him. They dishonored him with their words towards others. And when they did speak to him, all they did was complained and questioned, complained and questioned. Number three, we have four points here. Three, we weary God when we make decisions contrary to God's character. You, Christian, weary God. He, he, he becomes tired of observing. So while he is endlessly patient, He's looking upon you and desiring for your flourishing. And so he's going, why do you continue in this? We weary God when we live and make decisions in our lives that are contrary to God's character. The Bible tells us that God delights in those who walk according to his ways because he's watching his kids flourish. What parent doesn't want to watch his kids flourish? What are his ways? I, I think to like summarize his ways and maybe one encapsulating would be Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all, those, and all these things will be added to you. You want to know how to align yourself with the ways and the purposes of God in your life? Go there. Seek first the kingdom of God. Kingdom living, not worldly living. Kingdom perspectives on who God is. And lastly, we weary God when our actions cause others to reject him. This is a big, big no-no here. This is a big, big no-no to God. And it seems as though he's really frustrated with this. In their questioning, imagine this. In their questioning of him, in their complaining, they were spreading a general unbelief about God and what he was capable of. It's like anti-evangelism. It's like when someone says, um, did you hear? And then you just go on to straight up buy it, like buy it. Yeah, I didn't hear that, but man, it's crazy. how quickly we are to agree. We kind of head nod. Even when we disagree internally, we're like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I remember I, was, I heard a preacher one time talk about this. He was like, he's like, he's like in integrity, he's really trying to work on um, when he disagrees with someone, like just doing this instead. 
like instead of like, for sure, for sure, for sure. Have you thought about this? Because like you're giving off that like, I'm agreeing with you. In this day, there would be people who needed to be reminded of what God was capable of and God is frustrated and angry that his people are not declaring that, proclaiming that, telling that story. How hard for your neighbor to trust in God if all you do is complain about God? That's the most insane evangelism strategy I've ever heard of. God isn't into it. So how does God respond? That's the last piece here. How does he respond? Uh, A better way forward, I'll say that. It's for sure a better way forward. So they're asking in this, where is this God of justice? And watch, here's his response. Do you think you're ready for me? That's really what he says. Really? In all this trash, like you, you think you're ready for me? And all the unholiness, the sorcery, he says, the adultery, the lies, the oppressing of the hired workers and the widow and the fatherless and the sojourner. You really want me to come into all this unholiness now? You think that will go well for you? He says, first, you need to be refined and purified. To go back to previous verses, first, you need to guard yourselves and your spirit and do not be faithless. First, you need to remember the covenants I made with you and believe that I am not only a covenant maker, but a covenant keeper. First, you need to stop giving me your worst. First, you need to say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. First, you need to see that I am, I am a great king and that my name will be feared among the nations. All those things are found in the previous verses. And it seems to be that our words, our words, what we say, are the single greatest indication as to whether this is actually happening in our hearts. Whether we are being faithful and guarding ourselves, our words will reveal that. Whether we are honoring God, your words will reveal that. Do my words contribute to Christ-like creation in the lives of other people? Do they possess a kind of reverence, a set-apartness, a holiness like God's? And so, can it be true, to wrap it up, can it be true that well, after this, there's a 400-year period, so Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament. There's a 400-year intertestamental period that God has simply given them a chance to simply live out some holiness. Christ had not come yet, and so no Messiah to point to as their atonement and to receive forgiveness from. But, But this is the beauty here in this text. I want you to see this. He directly tells them here that he is coming. Did you see it? I hope you did, because I even slowed down. In verse 1. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord. But I, for now, I just, I just want to give you some time to just learn and to love me and trust me again and put away the pride and, and stop the complaining and the questioning and the arrogant questioning and despising me. 
I want to end with this. The, the Christian life is a daily laying down of self, of dying to self and living to Christ. Uh, as, as Eugene Peterson um, says, it's, it's a long obedience in the same direction. Um, and you will get it so, so wrong so much of the time. And for those moments, even in your worst moments, your sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. We believe that. We know this to be true, and we know that none of what we can, we can atone for, that none of us can atone for our own sins or the, the trampling on the glory of God that we do so much of the time, but that only Christ's work can do that. We know that. We know that he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. We know that is true. We know that while we were still sinners, still sinning, still far from God, still far from being perfected, Christ died for us. We know that's the case. John Piper once said in a talk he gave at one of his Desiring God conferences, I thought I would be more sanctified by now. Um, and if you know John Piper, you know he's sort of like this like wartime simplicity and holiness guy. Um, He's actually been referred to kind of tongue-in-cheek, certainly tongue-in-cheek, as the fourth person of the Trinity. And so if John Piper is saying, I thought I would, I would be more sanctified by now, we all, we all feel that, right? And we trust Christ to, to be what we are not. Should then, because all of the above is true, should our response not be then, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and awe? A heart of humble, we see the opposite here. Should our response then be a heart of humble submission and honor? Not how do you love us or how do we despise you or where is this God of justice? Notice in verse two, the question is asked, who can endure or stand before his holiness? Answer, no one. Not one of you, unless we trust in him, slow down our mouths, open our Bibles, listen to the words of our perfect father and receive the perfection of Christ on our behalf. As David would write in Psalm 24, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. And Paul the apostle would write to the Philippians, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Who can stand? No one but Christ. And so God's desire for us is really simple. That our words would be purposeful and worshipful and used to promote and proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. That our hearts would bow at the mention of his name. And so this morning, um, we will pause to come forward to observe a meal that every other week we observe. And we would say this, that all who have trusted in Jesus and that everything that I just spoke over the last 30 minutes resonates and makes sense and you've received the perfect Christ on your behalf. 
to the question, who can stand, who can endure? You go, not I, not I, but he can for me. To that person, we invite you to come. To the person who has, has laid down their life to the kingship and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And what this means is that the, the justice that should have been poured out onto you instead, in turn, has been poured out onto the Son of God, your Messiah, your Redeemer, your Savior. And so um, if you want to know kind of how to go about this time, just take a few minutes. Um, the three R's, maybe. Use these. Just when you come and return to your seat, I would invite you just to do this. Reflect, repent, and then re- re- rejoice Reflect, repent, and then rejoice. Reflect on your own soul, your affections, what needs refining. Repent of anything that you are doing in contrary to the ways of God, and then rejoice. But like any good father does, he invites you to the table to dine with, to feast with, to receive forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And so will you pray with me? Father, we take time to remember your sacrifice this morning. We remember your broken body and shed blood. Lead us to not take this moment lightly, but rather to see how very holy a moment like this can be. Our prayer this morning is that our words that that honor you would just simply be a byproduct of the new heart that you have given us. We don't just need our hearts to be tweaked to be repaired. We need a complete remaking of our hearts. We need a new heart. We need new appetites and new affections and new worship. We're all worshipers here. We're going to leave here worshiping something. We just would ask, Lord, that, that you would be the center of that worship. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen, amen, and amen.